And we are recording. Got it. Okay. There's a fly flying around in here. Never has there been one in here for like a year and a half, but there's one <laughs> fly that I cannot get. So excuse me if sure I... The same, you sure it's the same fly? <laughs> I'm not sure, but there's only ever been one present. So I don't know if I'm killing it and it's being replaced or if it's the same one eluding me. Whatever it is, it's kind of driving me insane. So if you see me start to follow it around during the podcast, okay. that's why. Uh, just, you know, well, we're off to a strong start of, as I've established, as always, I'm unhinged and not entirely here as I'm chasing down a fly, but, if um, anybody hears something like that, they'll know you got the fly. Or <laughs> I just hurt myself. Um, but, uh, yeah, Paul, you've been on here several times before. We've talked about all of your in- endeavors, snorkeling and getting a tan instead of, uh, instead of working away in your, uh. Or was it your banking job or home banking or yeah, that's home a, that's banking a, protocol? Yeah, home banking, electronic banking, yeah, economics, all, all in the past. Not that I don't, it comes in handy once in a while, you know. Sure. Uh, but um, technology has been uh, progressing so fast lately that I'm not even current. Yeah. I used to be like an industry expert. Yeah. Stuff. Now it's like, uh, hello, duh, what happens? Dude, I'm not, I'm 32 and I don't know any of this shit. Um, it's, it's, it's past. I'm all, I've already, I'm behind the, I'm behind like the shock wave of, of like being ahead of the curve. I, I think I started falling behind in college and now like, I don't know any of it. I'm, I've, I've descended back into, I am part of the boomer group now. I don't understand any of it. Oh, welcome to the boomers. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm happy to. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply be here and uh i'm happy to be an honorary member i am an honorary member thank you for being here everybody it's been exactly five months since i've understood technology um but today we're going to go over your book uh fugitive in paradise which as always i'll put the link to it in the description i know you've got a copy there yeah yeah for everybody everybody watching fugitive in paradise which i'm not as anybody that watches this podcast knows i'm not but i'm not big on uh on 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 well really anything but like like history but i thoroughly enjoyed this and i'm not kissing your ass I'm, i i thoroughly enjoyed it thank you because it seemed it also seemed realistic mm-hmm. that's what it was is it wasn't it wasn't some james bond shit it was like yeah it's some corrupt motherfuckers wanting to move their money to get a return and yep. then some people you know they throw a wrench in the gears and uh get fucked not really and but, the the my price. yeah yeah What's interesting, you know, I never know when every book I've written, I've always figured it would be my last. Yeah. You never know when the next book is going to happen, you know? Yeah. And typically it kind of happens from something totally out of the ordinary, you know? And as I wrote in the introduction, you know, I was walking on this beach one day in the uh, Riceville Beach in the, in the Carolinas, and I kind of stumbled upon this thing. You can see it. Mm-hmm. It's like a curved piece of look like a, I wasn't sure what it was. And I looked at the, uh, what looks like tooth holes in a mm-hmm. row. And I said, damn, that could be maybe a jawbone. And I put it like this. I said, wow, it even fits my jaw. Look at this. This, this yeah. is maybe a human jawbone. So you're thinking, okay, a human jaw, jawbone washes up on a beach. Well, it had to come from somewhere. Where yeah. could it come from? You know, what, what, what human uh, burial sacrifices, whatever, or near a, a water or an ocean or something like that. And I'm thinking, hmm, where do I hang out a lot? Down on the Yucatan, the Mayans, you know, the, yeah. a lot of beach stuff going on around, you know. So I thought, okay, maybe this could be, uh, but in real life, I said, maybe this is, you know, from some, could be a murder victim. Who knows where it came from? So I took a few photos and sent it to a couple of dentists who said, "Mm, looks pretty interesting. Uh, Could be tooth holes, but kind of shallow to be a human tooth, maybe some kind of animal tooth. I said, okay, well, not as exciting as a human bone, whatever. Did some more uh, investigating, sent it to uh, some marine biologists and some underwater archaeologists. And the upshot of it was the long story uh, is that it was looked like to them it wasn't bone it was more like a broken piece of shell from that had broken off from a larger piece of, sh- of shell and just kind of happened to have the shape of a of a of a jaw and these holes 
were made by a species of worm called a boring worm, B-O-R-I-N-G, that, 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 that uh, tunnels into, uh, into shell to get the calcium, whatever is in the shell for nutrients. So how boring is that? <laughs> but oh, well, okay, I guess it wasn't as exciting as I thought it was going to be, but I could probably be, you know, start a story around this, you know? Mm. So that was the genesis of the story, you know? And um, yeah. how, how much of it's based in reality? Because if I'm not incorrect, you mentioned Vecchione, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I you know, I, I pepper my books with the real people because real people, I'm, a, I'm you know, in law enforcement terms, I'm a civilian. I don't know mm-hmm. anything about, you know, law enforcement, forensic stuff, whatever, you know. So if you want to make your book credible, you have to kind of like rely on some of these sources. And um, I found that it kind of, it gets, a, you know, some people get a kick out of, you know, being in a book, you know, um, and, you know, using, if I can use a real background, it's even better. But to your point or your question about how much is, you know, this is reality, the other half of the story was that, uh, one of my favorite places where I go scuba diving down in Cozumel is off this beautiful deserted beach that I wrote about in the book um, called Palancar Beach. And I've often, you know, been by this, you know, this piece of, of, of land. You know, there's like a beachfront uh, restaurant, you know, for snorkeling and scuba and everything else right there. But past that is this, you know, mile or two long, beautiful white sandy beach uh, fringed by, you know, uh, mangroves and right behind it, you know, vegetation and stuff like that. And it's right in the water there. And I said, man, I'm surprised nobody has developed this thing yet. You know, it's just, a, it's just, it's a beautiful piece of beach because further north, all the, you know, most of the island has been developed. And sure enough, one day I see this sign and it says, you know, no trespasso or whatever they, what would they say in, in Spanish, you know. And uh, I said, something, something's going on here. So I did some investigating. And sure enough, I found out that there was stuff in the works that some development or investment group had bought this property and wanted to uh, develop it. Uh, we first came to our attention because there's a pier off this thing that dive boats would pull up during the service interval, which is between dives. And if you wanted to kind of relieve yourself, you might go into the jungle and <laughs> take care of business. Okay? Sure. And before you know it, you know, first they were charging boats to pull up to what was a free pier. Then you couldn't pull up any, any more at all. They were closing it off and said, what the hell is going on here? And we, we found out that this, this group had, had bought the property and they were in discussions with all kinds of economic environmentalist groups down in Mexico and the part of the government that was saying, no, no, you can't do this, it's off limits. But down there, you know, money has a way of <laughs> changing people's positions, so to speak, okay? Yeah. And it was the subject of a lot of controversy for a couple of years, and, but it was get, you could tell the momentum was going closer and closer in one direction, meaning something was going to happen. Yeah. And sure enough, when I was down there, I see that it, was, it had been cordoned off and there was long, you know, there was all kinds of Little, little bit of development here and there going on, some some hut buildings and stuff, and they were beginning to level the mangroves and stuff. I said, damn, this is being, it's going to be developed, you know, so. Is there any truth to the mafia connection? Uh, probably in this case. Blink no. twice, it's, blink it's, twice it's, if you're it's, in danger. It, <laughs> it's probably just a local development guys. I mean, I mean, you never know who's behind where the money comes from. Sure. But uh, in this case, uh, the mob is probably not behind it, um, uh, which could have made it even more interesting. Uh, but, um, you know, they, um, it's probably a local development group just looking to make some money like developers do and not really worrying about the, you know, the, the consequences of environmentally or anything else. You know? it, might even, it might be even more dangerous, though, if the group isn't the mob, right? Because if you're the mob, there's this... Yes. And I speak from all of my wisdom and all of my years in the mafia. But with the mob, there's this sort of like they don't want anyone really looking too closely. Right. There's this they it's just money, like shut up, develop it. They don't they don't they don't want the magnifying glass looking at them versus if you're a squeaky clean developer, you might actually it's like, which which one's more dangerous, like the the Genovese family or like Walmart? And it's like, well, I I might say Walmart. Right? It's, I, I don't know if the developers are squeaky clean, put it that way. But well, in comparison to a, a traditional, you know what I mean, in, yes. in terms of like a mob, like, you know, like, like you know, the Crips are bad, but like, mm-hmm. which one has a bigger damage on like U.S. society? Like the Crips are like the bankers in 08, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> but but that's what I mean. Is so, yeah. it, you know, that might not necessarily mean one or the other's uh, better or worse. Right, um, right, right. As someone that's been in like both both universes, you've been in the, like you said, the corporate 
industry mm-hmm. expert, you know, really as 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 white collar as you can get. Yeah. I mean, kind of stamped out of like encyclopedia white collar. Yep. To now you are like the most interesting man in the world. You have a beautiful tan, you're swimming with whales and sharks and all sorts of magical things. What is your view on because oftentimes you have you have someone that's only ever been in one world or the other. You have the cutthroat businessman who's like, shut up, it's all profit. You don't understand how the world works. And then you have the person who has only ever been associated with you know, the land and nature, and that's that's all well and good, but they maybe don't understand how modern society works. And neither of them are completely fault-free. They both have their reasonings for the corporate guy maybe doesn't see the big picture of like, hey, this stuff is irreplaceable. You cannot, mm-hmm. it takes a billion years for this stuff to come back. But on the other side, the, uh, you know, the, the hippie nature guy might be like, hey, man, like we live in a world of like modern convenience and medicine, and this is powered by a modern economic machine. You're you're at an interesting point in that not only have you are have you lived both, it's not even side by side. Like you did one fully and then right. no pun intended dove into the other fully. What what is your opinion on something like you see the beauty of the of the diving and of this natural area, but you also lived in a the very real world of like an operating business. Right, dollars and cents, and you have to make a. That is the sustainable. It's not fun. It's not sexy, but at the end of the day, like that's the thing that makes mm-hmm. that your car runs on gas. My electronics do plug into a wall, which is paid for by or you know provided by a utility company. Like there's a there's a real politic to it that it's not. Unfortunately, it's not all rainbows and sunshine. How does that? How does that kind of skew your? Or not skew, but shape your perception of something like this of this is the native land and not even getting into the point that like well that's you know we can't really talk about it we're american it's not our own homeland A- aside from that it comes it, it gets very interesting when you uh cross back over the line so to speak in other words i still have friends in in both worlds okay so i see them occasionally and whatever and and um you know it's um when i've been on one of my you know I wouldn't say exactly an echo trip, but, you know, uh, commuting with nature or doing what I do with whale sharks, the whole bit, right, and enjoying the beauty of coral reefs and things like that and enjoying that kind of stuff. And you come back to reality. And then when you uh, I still have friends on the other side of the, uh, of, the, of the picture, so when I mix with them, you know, socialize with them, whatever, and topics come up, you know, like, you know, isn't global warming a farce or isn't it, you know, a little bit and you get and you kind of say, yeah, you, you kind of feel your way. You have to tiptoe. Hmm. through the conversation uh so that you don't totally turn somebody off or cause them to get get violent against you yeah but all of a sudden you know whereas you were one of them entirely at one point now you come across with a different perspective and they kind of look at you and just go really you know did you drink the kool-aid or something yeah no i didn't drink the kool-aid but i've seen the other side of the movie and there's some other deeper factors here and it goes both ways. You know, if I go into the, in my other, you know, the fantasy world of what I do, I bring some of that corporate background and, and talking with them, they, people have to understand that, you know, it's not love that makes the world go around. Unfortunately, it, it takes some money and some reality. So profit margin. Yeah. So it's, it's a little bit, it gets a little dicey when you tiptoe back and forth between both worlds. So, <clears throat> you know, what I've experienced in my own, you know, 32 years and on this earth is, uh, not only living in the north and the south, going to school in rural areas and going to the school mm. in more urban areas, but also being as like clean cut Boy Scout 4.0, I'm going to be a doctor guy to like kind of doing psychedelics and like writing and Photoshop and now like doing a podcast. Like it's been the opposite of like the most safe route I could take. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Job security, Dr. Kerrigan. That's about, it's cool, it's great, you're helping people, but it's also, man, it's safe. There's there's a big old trampoline right under you. You're you're not going to fall. And then there's this, and it's like, you're on a high wire above lava. 
Like, what are you going to, you're going to try to make money on a good luck. How are you going to do it? I don't know. Good luck. I've kind of seen my own, excuse me. That takes guts. And it's, but it's, but what I've seen is so like you, you're living in both worlds. And as someone that like, even politically, like I voted on, I've, I've said this a million times on the podcast. I know people are rolling their eyes, but like, I voted on both parties, you know, 2008, I voted for Obama because I was 18 and weren't hoping change. 2012, I voted for Romney because I was like, fuck Obamacare. I want to be a doctor. I want to keep my money. 2016, I voted for Bernie because that was two years after my brother died. And I was like, suicide. And I was like, I think everyone probably needs mental health care. And in 2020, I voted for Trump because I was like, yeah, I don't really like the riots. I've begun, I've, I practice what I preach. I actually do change my opinions as I get older. Yeah. All of that, there's, a, there's this sort of like meta wisdom you can garner from it though and it is trying to relay that message between both quote-unquote groups if you will like like you said you go back to the the gordon gecko types and you have to be like "Eh, it's not all hippies like there is some truth to like you got to preserve nature like and at the same time you got to go you're swimming with brightly colored fish you got to be like the world does run on like excel spreadsheets like Mm -hmm. what i'm saying what i'm trying to get to though is in that moment of translation, which I'm often trying to do, even on this podcast, right? You and I are going to, you and I are talking about, you know, you know, fugitive in paradise and diving. And then like, I'll interview like a Delta force guy about like the most brutal things in the world. There is that. It's an odd thing to have to kind of bring pieces of, I want to say knowledge or wisdom, because that sounds too snooty some piece of fact between both perceptions of reality and you're right you can't you can't go in with this no you're wrong because people clam up at best yes. and become violent at worst mm-hmm. but you almost have to start, you almost have to develop like a sort of diplomacy of where like you have to be like hey i get it those wall street guys are assholes i'm on board with you and that almost like it's almost like a trojan horse it sort of opens them up and you're like that being said you know, this entire diving thing we're doing. Like, this is a private corporation. This is an yeah. LLC. This is a, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but. Well, you... no, but I understand your point because, um, and, and my strong suit has never been diplomacy. I was always kind of a black and white kind of person, you know. Like that, that's, who is, that's, you know that's who I am till I die. That's who I am till I die. And that, that, that cost me dearly in, in business looking back on it. You know, um, uh, I just told people what, instead of here telling them what they wanted to hear or sugarcoating it, I just told mm, them the yeah. way it was. And uh, on looking back on more than one occasion, I learned that that kind of like cost me, you know, you know, some career points along the way. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, um, it's 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 a it's a skill that you have to either. Some people can do it very easily, you know, just part of the nature. Uh, I tend to be a little more, like I said, a little kind of black and white, and it's this way or that way. So, in order to make a point without pissing somebody off or use as you to your, your term cl- make them clam up because all of a sudden you've come on too too aggressively or too negatively whatever um it's taken a lot of work on my part to kind of back off that and kind of like convince them uh through other merits that you know maybe they should look ahead they need a different viewpoint it's not easy to do no. uh, especially if you think you're right <laughs> And they're and you know they're wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard. That's it's the most difficult, it's difficult thing in the world. Very difficult. And some people, like I said, take it naturally. I I I still have to work on it. Uh, and I I learned that. And one day when I was uh, in my old you know corporate life, we my boss and I went had to meet with some people who were uh, we had this we were developing this product called home banking at the time, brand new. Okay, and Chemical Bank uh, was our our, our client. And they were having a tough go of it. And they had some complaints, some justified, some not. Actually, most of them were not really justified. But my boss and I were going into this meeting. You know, I was a junior guy. He was taking me along to this meeting. And I was ready. I was gearing up. I was you know, beginning to breathe heavy and getting myself ready for this you know, combative role with these other two executives from the other side, from, the, you know, from Chemical. And um, I, we listen to them and I'm going and they're, they're spouting off and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm squirming, getting hot under the, the collar. I'm saying, boy, when, when, once my boss gets going, cause he was a lead guy. I, I was, a, you know, I, I couldn't take the lead in the conversation. Um, I said, this is going to be fireworks. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And the first words out of his mouth to them, he goes, I couldn't agree more. I know exactly where you're coming from. And I was going, <laughs> what the, what are you I'm looking and he goes, you know, you, you know, you, you said, yes, but one of them was a woman. Yes, Mary. I, I, I understand you. You're, 
I got it. Like I hear you. I understand. And it, it disarmed them because they're waiting for the confrontation also. Yeah, yeah. So we had three people, those two and myself, sitting there with our mouths open while my boss is going on saying how much he agrees with them, how much he understands your viewpoint. And then he slowly slid in the butt. Yeah. However, and this is why, and before you know it, it was like uh, a hugging, uh, everybody was hugging each other. Yeah, jubilee. You know, and, yeah. and I was going, holy damn, what a, what a technique. It's an that art. Is. It is an art. You watch people well, I, do it. I, I learned more from that guy than I, I learned more from working <laughs> for this fellow than I did in years of, of business school. I mean, not exactly, but for yeah. the most part, in, in terms of how to get business done, you know, I would have gotten there hard charging, we're right and stuff, and it would have thrown me out of my butt. Yeah. He, he got them to agree with us, turn around, and we're all buddy buddies walking out of the meeting. Oh, yeah. And I, I saw it time and time, and I began trying to do that sometimes. And to my amazement, I found out that's pretty powerful. That really works. It is. When you see it, it really is like you're like, oh, it's winning isn't about going in with the most force and just like brutal, mm-hmm. like, you know, just pure, like concussive impact. Sometimes you see someone just like dance around it and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, dude, they're doing like a they are doing like a salsa dance. And it's it's this art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. It's almost like fencing or something. You're like, oh, this isn't just tackling. This is this. They're weaving this. Thing. Yeah, and it often comes with, yeah, complete disarmament. Or you'll right. see, I've seen people just like, I, I had a friend that used to do this online whenever there'd be a political argument. He, no matter what the other person said, he'd always just start with, yeah, you're probably right. And then go, and you just, you'd see the other person just completely open up. Yeah. And it was like, huh. And then like he didn't, and then not once you opened them up, you don't just then go all in. You make your point. And also allow some concessions. Next thing you know, you have these two people, maybe not agreeing a hundred percent, but they're agreeing fifty percent when normally they would agree zero percent. Yeah, and it is yeah. this insane dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so with that, and then what you've seen in it is so like the one thing you can learn from it is so how do I do this right? And then there's like sort of like another level. I don't know if it's above that or adjacent to it, but then it's there's this sort of like meta theme of like, wait, why do I even need to convince other people? Mm. You start to realize you're like, everyone has their, with the exception of like psychopaths and pedophiles. I mean, (laughs) but, but seriously, with the exception of people that physically harm others or get off on harming others, most people want the same thing, right? Shelter, decent paying job. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) they want to be able to sleep well at night and they want a good place to raise their kids. Yeah. They want to feel good. Yeah. Yeah. And you want to enjoy the weekend. Like, so then there's this whole other thing. It's like, I don't even need to be like an olive branch between like the, the people diving in Consumal versus like the Wall Street bankers. You're almost just like, they are their own people with their own wants and needs. I might as well just go join the dance. Yeah, to, to your point about what, what do people want and stuff, they want to be happy, they want to feel good. And in another situation, I can tell you about working for another, another person. Um, I, what I learned is that if you can make people feel good about themselves, you are golden. Yeah. Because another situation I had, again, I was working with a different person this time, young lady, uh, and uh, she was she was the boss in this in this case, and um, we had to go into a meeting, uh, and this guy was, you know, the the the, you know, the, the senior guy we had to deal with was um, really a total jerk. You know, he was really, you know, in, in, in all fairness, he just wasn't getting it, whatever. But I learned from again watching. I was I was ready to you know here's here's the facts and figures. Here's, here's I was gonna lay out 105 reasons why the person was wrong. Mm-hmm. Just right in black and white. This proves it, right? Choose start off. Uh, I forget the guy's name. You know, it doesn't matter. Phil, I gotta tell you, what a brilliant uh, idea that is. We, we we now we just talked behind the scenes that this particular idea was totally insane. Just retarded. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But Phil. What a marvelous idea. I, I can't believe how you, you were so insightful to, to do that and this and that. And before you know it, she has the guy eating out of her hand because she's making him feel good about himself. Yeah. You know? Whereas I would have made the guy feel like a jerk, because even, though I, even though I had the, the, the black and white numbers to prove it, uh-huh. right? uh, never would have gotten the point across. And we came out of the meeting, even though I kind of like, uh, you know, I let her do all the sugarcoating. I just was kind of like, whatever. But we came out of the meeting with him thinking, she's wonderful. And that guy Milo's an idiot. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I said, no, and I said, okay, a lesson learned. If you can make people feel good about themselves, you are golden. Yeah. You can, you can do no wrong. Yeah, and you're right. You know, doesn't mean you have to be a phony all the time, but it's a good technique to learn. Like I keep forgetting it half the time. I kind of drift back to my own, unless I'm very conscious that I have to do this. Yeah. I, I slip back to my own. My bed. Well, it, all, it also takes effort and you have to, it has to be something you genuinely care about. Cause otherwise you're like something like you just don't give a shit about. If somebody's favorite color is green and you like purple, <laughs> how much energy are you really going to put into? I don't give a yeah. fuck. Purple's, you know, whatever. I, I don't even like those two colors, but I mean like whatever. You're just yeah. like, yeah, you can fuck yourself, whatever. Um, and then there are some things where it is like the black and white data where you know they're. Inc- I've had on here, uh, uh, ba- Basil. I always forget his name. Basil Bass, former CIA paramilitary operator, okay. hard hardcore motherfucker, and uh, n- now he like privately privately funded just hunts pedophiles, just hunts pedophiles and rescues children. And he's like, there is no gray area. Like when a person buries a child in the woods after right. he rapes them, yeah, like. He's like a psychopath. Someone that didn't know what they were doing was wrong. Someone who's clinically insane. They they wouldn't hide their actions. He was like, these people that act, you know operate in the shadows, they know what they're doing. They know. So from that sense, I'm like, that guy doesn't need negotiation skills. He just he just needs a well oiled gun and yeah. more more power to you, Bess. But like for other things, even when you have the data that says this guy is a dickhead, he is incorrect. But if your end goal is to sort of build a bridge, you can't just go in there guns blazing. You have to do the whole olive branch thing. And, and what a great idea on that sort of theme from like what I've learned through this podcast is there is sort of like a beautiful, like lesson learned almost, you know, it's like those like corny old sitcoms where it's like, there's a lesson at the end of it and everyone's happy, but it really does feel like that. Cause sometimes I'll go into something and I'll be like, I know factually like that. I like, not an opinion, like one plus one is two. I will go into it and be like, and then I'll do the whole thing. I'll be like, but you know, you kind of got to make them feel good about themselves. And then subtly, slyly, you insert the butt. If you do that, though, I have found sometimes they will insert something. And because they're doing it in a less hostile manner, too, they will actually change my mind. I'll actually be like, oh, wait. Yeah. Well, maybe I'm wrong, and then there actually is, and, and I know it sounds like some cheesy Hallmark bullshit, but there actually is this moment where you're like, I learned something that I otherwise would have been way too defensive to learn. Yes, that happens. That that has happened. Uh, yeah, and you're like, oh fuck, I thought I was just being smooth, and I thought I was being nice, and then you're like, that asshole taught me something. Yeah, there really is another side to the story. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but that then changes my whole perception of all of reality. Is. Yeah. Right is because it's almost like we're speaking two languages, like German and English. You got to have a good translator because mm-hmm. otherwise it will get lost in translation. But if you like translate enough things, ultimately you realize, like, unless your goal is to be a translator, you're like, you don't need a trans like someone in English or someone in German or someone in Korean. They all know how to say like, "I'm thirsty," "I would like some water," or like, mm-hmm. "I want to go to sleep," or "I love my daughter." Mm-hmm. And then there's almost like a well, there's no need to teach them English because they know how to say it in German. Mm-hmm. That's what I was trying to get at with like when you interview enough people from all walks of life, you almost start to be like, well, there's no, there's really no even need to, to, to show everyone that everyone has their own logic. It's just sort of this, like you're watching like a Swiss watch and you're like, wait, it doesn't need me. You're like, this thing is just taking on its own. You're almost like, let it just let it go on its own. And there's yeah. some weird Buddhist detachment when you get to that point. And I don't know what you do with that. I would imagine you'd stop doing a podcast and just go live in the woods and I don't know. Communicate for the rest of your yeah, life. Yeah, meditate or something. I'm clearly not there yet because I'm still no. screaming in front of a camera. But yeah, like, no. um, I guess that is kind of full circle, though, because you and I have talked about this before, right? Well, it, it was you, correct, that you were, you know, it was like the day of or the day after 9-11 and you were yeah. like, what what proof do I have that that wasn't going to be me? Like those people didn't know that this morning. Yep. The uh, I, you know that came back to me when they had the, they had some they had some anniversary shows this year and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and sixty minutes and things like that. And some of them focused. Uh, I think I might have talked about this. Uh, one of the things that really drove it home was the the, the picture of what that was become now is the falling man. The falling man, yeah. And looking at that guy, knowing that. Two and a half hours earlier, he was having breakfast with his family, saying, "I'll see you tonight for dinner." 
Yeah. You know, what what could be further from his mind than that happening? Yeah. What I was mean, he thinking in the shower that morning? Like you, you can almost accept, okay, you go out of your door one day, you might be in a random car crash and get killed. That that's almost like makes sense. You know, you, you almost your brain almost allows that a little more. But to jump to, to say, you know, you're gonna jump out of the World Trade Center in three hours to your death is like I don't think so, you know. But it happened to this guy, you know, and it could happen to anybody. That, yeah even just that sentence like you know you finish shaving in the shower by the way before lunch you're gonna jump from the windows on the world to your death yeah that's like become suicidal no it's actually the the lesser of the painful options yeah what like there and i like what was that guy think what was falling man thinking in this was he it was he man when i'm finished with this job i'm gonna fucking retire i've always wanted to go scuba diving or i've always Mm -hmm. wanted to start a podcast and you and I have talked about that, how you you have to come to peace with like that is I mean, in terms of like because once you get to a certain a point of probability, it's all equal. Like, what are the chances I'm going to get in a car crash versus jump out of a building? It's probably more likely the car crash. Yeah. But once you get to the whole one in a million thing, you're like, it's probably just as likely I'm going to jump out of a building. You have to sort to incorporate that into your life of like, it probably won't be you. What if? What if? And you and I have talked about that, so I, I won't. I won't further flesh that out because we've talked about in how that's led to you doing scuba and and me and me doing a podcast. Is that mm-hmm. it, for me? It was losing a brother, and I was like, that could have been me. And that might. What if it wasn't suicide? What if it was a car crash? Blah blah blah. And sure. again, you and I did a whole episode on this. But with that, I would almost say that this the whole like dance between the two worlds of of white collar, you know, Jordan Belfort, Gordon Gecko. Not saying that you were working with demons. I just, you know, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, like my dad, my dad was white collar. So I don't know why I'm using these terrible examples. Someone like my dad, white collar yeah. business. And, you know, again, the more so like, uh, you know, the beautiful tan swimming with, you know, with nurse sharks. Does that aid in the sort of move to that world and not even really giving a shit about confronting them? I would imagine part of it would be like, like we talked about, hey guys, like they're not all demons on Wall Street, but then there's also this other point that's just like I don't even care, like I don't, I'm not jumping out of the World Trade Center today. I'm just gonna snorkel, and if they're talking about how bad like the white man is, you're like, whatever, <laughs> I don't care. The water's beautiful. Yeah, well, to, you know, part of that uh, kind of comes from or came from me from a total surprise. Like once I I tried that kind of a life. You know, in, in, in bits and pieces, because I was still pretty much, you know, per- firmly planted in the corporate life before I, you know, slid over to this other side of my, you know, <laughs> my being, whatever. Um, I found that just the experience itself of scuba diving, for example, it's so different from what we experience every day of your life. Oh, yeah. Everything so about in, it. In terms of like sensory, I, w- I won't say uh, sensory dep- deprivation, but this is your, your, your senses. You go through your day not being weightless. Underwater, you are weightless. Uh-huh. We don't go through our day being deprived of sound. Sound. Underwater, it's a totally silent world except the sound of your bubbles. You know, uh, this kind of like weightless, silent world all of a sudden, it just opens up other things that your mind begins to like work in ways it never did before because uh-huh. you know, it's adapting to different sensory perceptions that never had before. Uh-huh. You know, I might have read about it, but I, I, you know, until you do it, you really, it's something else. But now you're you're in a whole other um, physical universe, if you will. A different reality. One of my friends, uh, who I who led me on some of my adventures, this young lady. Oh, she's my age. No, no, we're not young anymore. Um, I met her by accident, total serendipitous. You know, my first book, Dangerous Waters. She happened to get a copy. I forget how she even got it. Emails me one day, and that began a, 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 a friendship. Oh, you know, she lives in California. I'm on the east on the east coast, um, and. Uh, she's gotten me to, on, on some of my crazier expeditions to go swim with humpback whales and and uh, visit the gray whales and stuff the like dolphin that. La- is she the dolphin lady? Uh, no, she's not dolphin lady. That's that's, that's somebody else. Okay. that's somebody else. All right, uh, Judy Hemingway. But to my yeah. point, as we're talking about this, she wrote a book. Her first book was called "The Universe Next Door." Ah. her was the underwater or, or underwater world, the universe next door. That's, yeah. So that's where I was going in that thought that. Uh, I, I didn't really plan on. To me, it was initially something exciting to do. Something, yeah, let's try. This is this is pretty gung ho stuff. Wow, I saw this when I was growing up watching Mike Nelson Sea Hunt, that kind of stuff. You know, I'm going to try this now. I had no idea or could have predicted that how I was going to feel once I experienced it. 
but once you've experienced this, uh, it's it's um, I'm not can't think of the word now, but you know, uh, this this alien kind of yeah, this you know this all of a sudden this weightless for the most part silent world, uh, it, you, you know you just feel like you're just floating in in space. I know they have some therapy where you have these floating tanks that you mm-hmm. can stuff in dark. You know, well you're not in darkness, you're seeing things around you, but it's that same kind of like totally weightless. Uh, free spirit kind of thing that it's almost transformative to have yeah. perceiving the, the, your world and, and people around you and it was like uh, wow I didn't expect to feel that way after I did I expected to you know you know try something different exciting that was pretty cool let's go back to work you know yeah yeah it began to open up other ways that I wanted to feel like that more often yeah so it's not like uh, taking the day off of work and like switching it up and you go I don't know, go get shit faced and play like putt putt. Like that is different, but it's, it's not. And then if you're not scuba, because I've never done that, you're only ever going under for a little bit at a time. And then you're what, 10 seconds later. (gasps) And so you're coming back into this world. But that's, that's a good point. Like you're completely changing your reality. You're stepping, you're stepping in. I mean, it's like, I guess the closest thing would be like the guys I've had on here that are in like Delta Force. They're like, it's a real head fuck going like from like special operations back to, and not because of like PTSD, because they all say like they don't have PTSD because they're the hunters. They're like, they feel bad for like soldiers who have to go occupy an area. That's where you get PTSD is you're waiting for an attack versus when you are the predator. They say it's, but regardless, Mm -hmm. like when you're overseas and like you are like, you don't even fart without thinking which way the wind is going because you actually don't want them to detect you at everything you're thinking about is shadows and light angles and don't be on the ridge and cover up your footprints and what a thermal we don't know we always have to assume that there's a satellite overhead and then you come back here and it's just like yeah you can just go to walmart you don't have to make sure that someone's not tailing you you Mm -hmm. can just you can you don't have to go in and steal anything and slit anybody's throat you can actually just go get some frozen chicken and Instead of debit card into a machine, you're good. Uh, you don't need to shoot anybody. And they're like, it is, it is an odd. It, there's a little sort of like it changes how you think because you stop thinking in terms when you're overseas doing these things. You stop thinking about like what's trending politically. How's the market moving? They're like, you are solely. They say it's actually kind of like soothing because you are immersed in truth. You are worried about are my guys alive? Are we moving forward? Are we being detected? Are the silencers on? Are we, are we, you know, are we skewing our footsteps? Or do we have water? Do we have food? Are our radios working? It's pure truth. You don't give a shit about who's in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. You don't give a shit about an Amazon charge. It's just, I'm going to kill them before they kill me. And it is an immersion of total, everything you do as purpose. In that same sense, not saying that that's what scuba is, but in terms of being a totally different world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you got how would that affect you? Like they say, if you're right, if you're blind, like different parts of your brain grow, or if you're stuck right, in a if you, wheelchair, if you, lose, if you lose one of your senses, the other senses but, kind of yeah. take and over. Then you imagine, take and then you imagine someone like Stephen Hawking, where it's like, what if you can't even like move your body? Does your entire brain grow? And I would argue that it probably does, yeah, based on him. Yeah. What happens when you go into a weightless world mm-hmm. where? Now, granted, we're at the bottom of a 75-mile gaseous ocean called the atmosphere, but you don't notice it because you've just been in it forever. Right. But you go from, you go to weightlessness where you do feel it on every square inch of, you are hyper aware of your atmosphere, which Mm -hmm. is now the ocean. It's silent aside from your own breathing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you are not, you're on land. You are the apex predator. Sure, there are lions and shit, but we have them behind cages. You go in there, and it's like you do have to be looking at shadows. You have to be aware of what's around you, under you, over you, behind you, in front that, of you. Well, that probably completely does change your brain. Yeah, but imagine that changes things that aren't even related to it. Just your thought process, maybe like the structure of sentences in your brain. Like I, I wonder how it actually do your thoughts become not not go all hippy dippy, but. I mean, I wonder if your like your thoughts almost become more like free floating and and fluid. Yeah, or, or you know, zen. It, it, could, it could well be. In fact, and I haven't read this yet because it just came across the wire yesterday. But one of there's a uh, newsletter called Dive Newswire. Uh, this guy Scott Jones puts it out, and one of the and I didn't get a chance to go through it this year. I, I kind of just click on some of the stories, and one of them was that some scientific studies showed that scuba diving actually affects your mental health or improves your mental health. 
Sure. No, I didn't read about it. I didn't get all the details. I haven't read. I'm going to go back after we talk and go back. Now I'm going to make, make sure I read it <laughs> as I talk as I talk about it. But it does have, have an effect on you because you feel, you know, like I said, uh, totally different than the way you do every day on land. You yeah. know, like you're, you're all of a sudden you're in a different, whole different world, different universe, and it's uh, and it's almost like it becomes addictive, but not in a bad way. I mean, yeah. I guess any addiction can, can can become bad depending on your personality. Uh, but it was almost like I got to do this again. I want to do this more often. I want to experience this more. And the more you do it, the more you kind of say, "Wow, this is not that you want to live underwater for the rest of your life." But it does affect your way of looking at things. It's almost like have you ever gone on like prolonged? I know I have a couple times in my life, like a prolonged period of smoking pot. Like mm-hmm. now, I don't know. At thirty-two, I I'll maybe smoke like once or twice a year, and it's fun and it's novel. But I've just found I've after enough times over the past 15 years, I've just found it's, it's really, it's really not for me. Mm-hmm. It's just not, doesn't, I'm a very hyperactive OCD. I love to work. I love to build, but I have gone on periods in life for sometimes a month or two, sometimes a year where it be kind of, I incorporated that more and more less coffee. And it was bad. I gained a lot of weight, but like less coffee, less working out and more kind of easing into the day, smoking, meditating, and it is interesting to see how the change doesn't happen immediately. It's after a month, mm-hmm. after two months, you start to realize like more of your, I remember like more of your apartment, you're now looking for places to sit. And so you had like things you wouldn't ever pick up on before. If you walked into another friend's apartment, you could actually tell like, oh, this person also smokes because you maybe note an extra bean bag or something mm. versus more of like a clean cut, you know, this is a type A, this is a pre-law student or something. And it was interesting to see just little things, how your day would change, how you were less OCD about closing the blind. Maybe one of the blinds was open. Maybe one was closed. It was very, I, w- I wouldn't say it was good or bad. It was just different. It's For me, yeah. I like, I'm, I like to wake up at the same time I love, you know, I love coffee and I love working and that's just kind of, I found that that's where I belong. But I would imagine that as you sort of slowly introduce those things, and again, it's not, it's not enough that you do it once. It's when you do it repeatedly, it starts to become this sort of like, almost like a chant mm-hmm. where it starts to make its own like footprint in it's reality. Part of your life. Yeah. Then you see it start to manifest in other ways to how you respond to texts mm-hmm. to I found one thing I was when, when I was smoking a lot of pot, I found I was always like super per- perceptive. So instead of being just responding to a text, like, yeah, cool. What's up? You'd really look at it and you'd be like, yeah, man. Hey, by the way, like, I hope everything's going all right. And, you know, just little, little tokens of just empathy mm-hmm. that you maybe wouldn't have. Right. Versus if you're drinking a lot, it's more mm-hmm. of like, eh, fuck off. Right. You know, just kind of an asshole, but that has to be one of the things then. Right. And how. If you're swimming every day in a silent environment where you're weightless and you can feel the atmosphere on every inch of your body, I wonder what ways and again, not good or bad, but I wonder what ways that changes how you talk or how you arrange the furniture in your room. I wonder if there's something like it, it could have it could have effects because, you know, our, our bodies are what do they say, like 60 percent water or whatever. 70, water. yeah some high degree of percent of water. It's 70, yeah. And you're in a water environment. Yeah. Um, So, you know, you buy, and you're under this pressure, even though you don't feel the pressure. Like, I don't feel, like, as you go down, you're every 33 33 feet, the pressure doubles, okay, or increases increases by, I forget the formula. At 33 feet, it's double. At 66 feet, it's one and a half times, whatever it is. So it doesn't actually double. It goes, it increases by by a decreasing percent, but it's adding up. Mm-hmm. So if you're a hundred feet down, you're under like four or five times the pressure that we are at the surface. Mm. Yet I don't ever, you don't feel like anybody's squeezing your head or something like you just don't feel it because your body somehow adjusts to that. Mm-hmm. But to your point, I think it, you know you don't know what your but physiology physiology is is changing or reacting to it. Your body might be compensating in ways you don't know. Yeah, uh, because now you know every because everything is pressing, your your lungs become like one half their normal size. Now, yeah. I don't feel them being squashed, but evidently they are. Every, everything is, it puts a big strain on your cardiovascular system, although I don't feel it. I guess if I wasn't in good shape, I might feel it. But for, for the most part, you don't feel that your cardiovascular system is, is pumping differently, but it really is. Yeah. And all your organs are getting, you know, compressed and things like that. 
um, but you don't feel it. You don't, you don't feel like somebody has you in advice. It's just the way, for some reason, I don't know if it's compensating pressure, whatever the hell it is, but you just don't feel that. But those changes are going on. So who's to say, you know, it's What's not happening to you your know, brain. pressure on your brain, which is making some neurons fire differently and stuff like this. Yeah. Um, you know, so. Yeah. And then that coupled with the, and now you're not hearing so it's like, is more blood flowing to the area that is compensating for like lag for your like your visual acuity because mm-hmm. you're not you know kind of the whole so it's like simulating being deaf and then what effect does that have when you're also a hundred feet underwater and then what it then there's always things we never expect like the the gut brain access where over the past ten years there's like a new field of study where first it was like a hypothesis and then it was like oh maybe there's connection now they're like there's actually an overwhelming connection between your gut health. Mm-hmm. And like your neurotransmitters, mm-hmm. meaning it directly affects your mental health. Mm-hmm. I mean, so like what other things are happening when you're underwater in some weightless environment? I mean, how are things getting jostled around? I mean, maybe it's incredible for you. Yeah. And part of it probably is subconscious to it, or you, you push things to your subconscious because one of the biggest problems divers can face or one of the biggest dangers is a panic attack. Sure. It happened to even a mostly a very experienced diver. As long as things are going okay, fine. But if something happens where you feel you must get to the surface because either you can't breathe or there's something, some, some problem you're having. And you, so for some people, it could be nothing more than claustrophobia. But for them, yeah. it's a very real sense, obviously. You know, you get, some people experience that. Um, if there's some problem where all of a sudden you're, you're not getting enough air, you say, I got to get to the surface. But you can't get to the surface because the surface is way up there. You just can't shoot up. Otherwise, yeah, you, you get the bends. So you know, other issues come up. So uh, all of a sudden, your body is undergoing a panic attack in such a way that it, it almost outweighs your rational way to say, mm-hmm. calm down. You know, now if you're very, very experienced, you can kind of suppress that, but panic attacks can happen to even the most experienced diver, you know, yeah. depending on what, what the issue is. Yeah. So uh, the fact that your body now all of a sudden must revert to its fight or flight instinct kind of thing to survive, which overpowers your rational thought. Okay. Uh, that's one of the things that is very different about being down there, you know, even though you don't feel it from a moment to moment, but once something does go wrong that triggers that flight or fight panic attack kind of thing, it will, <laughs> it could be a very bad day. Yeah. And it must be, and it's gotta be something to do that your subconscious is suddenly, you know, you have, you have your, your primal brain way, you know, you have your, uh, your reptilian, yeah. your, 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 um, your human, you know, the, uh, the neocortex. Yeah. The, it's one part is overpowering the other one, you know, the rational part saying, stay calm. The reptilian brain oh, saying, yeah. get me the hell out of here, you know, and you had that conflict going on. And that is true. Is, yeah, it's it's like, yeah, well, I, and I'm, I'm no stranger to anxiety. But, like, yeah, my rational brain always be like, relax, you're fine, you're, you're in your apartment, like, you're okay. And then you have that, yeah, the beast part of you. That's, like, the thing that has made it so that, you know, our species has survived over millions of years. Cause it's like food, water, fucking breathing. Like, it just, you know, it just, it doesn't have time yeah, for bullshit. Water, I don't know. We put one above the, put food to the end. I don't know. I'm yeah, sure. whatever. But it, it is, it is, it is the white collar brain. It is like survival profit, right? It is. Yeah. And then like, but that's a point where it's like, no, you, so if that part of my brain takes over when I'm having a panic attack, it's, it's fine because um, it might say you need to lay down. I probably don't need to lay down, but there's also no consequence if I do lay down mm-hmm. versus if you're a hundred feet underwater. Yeah, that is a that is a special kind of kind of dance. But man, you almost wonder then if you took someone who dove every day and who lived this life and then maybe inserted them into midtown Manhattan for twelve hours a day for ten years, do they over time do they start wearing cufflinks? Yeah. Do they start do they start yeah. They start, you know, does their does their Adam's apple get bigger? Do they start does turning they into like more a, alpha like and fish out of water or what? Yeah. Do they <laughs> do they start going like? Do they start looking at protesters and they're like fucking hippies? Like, yeah. do, I bet they do. I and when you look at it from that way, it's like so there is no objective reality. Then it's just where you exist. The Wall Street guy thrives in Midtown Manhattan. Right. Not only would he not thrive diving, he would actually slowly become the diver. And mm-hmm. if you took the diver the long hair, the, you know, just the perfect, like you have the perfect tan. You threw him in a midtown Manhattan, give him some time. 
It'll, it'll be it kind might of, take a while because I got a funny film. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, this sucks to be back on the water. No, no, no but you have to force. You have to force them there. You have to force yeah, them to stay to, there. Yeah. Give it ten it, it, years. Well, I bet they're we, a corporate we do, raider. We do adapt. We do adapt. I guess you know, yeah. adapt us or, or or go extinct. Yeah. Give them ten years, they'll be a corporate raider. Give them twenty years, and they'll be in front of a Senate hearing. <laughs> Why did you do this? You're like I didn't know. I, you know, they'll yeah. be right there. They'll have the gold. They'll have the gold pin. They'll have the fucking lawyers right there. Yeah. They'll have the their Yale team. We'll oh yeah, not, not all the sharks are in the ocean. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, you'll, yeah, yeah, big. Yeah, there are demons down there. You like fucking come up here. You know, you want the real. You want the real natural selection. It's Wall Street, but like. Which then has to, it's almost weird then, because that that then starts to beg the question, like, are we, are we doing anything, or are, it's like, uh, who is it, like, was it um, Bruce Lee, was he, does he have the quote, like, water can flow, or it can crash, it can spill, or it can fill up a cup, mm-hmm. it's like, water just takes the form of what's around it, you then have to wonder, like, did we create, like, Lower Manhattan, and finance, or is that just like a universal thing that we started to inhabit? And then we t- like water doesn't exist in like a vapor, but if it goes through a sprinkler, it becomes mm-hmm. vapor and water doesn't necessarily want to be a compressed ocean unless you put it all in one spot. It becomes, so it's almost like, you know, were the Mongols really the Mongols or was Nazi Germany really Nazi Germany? Or was that just like a frequency and a vibe that whoever was going to be there just so happened to be a bunch of guys that look like me, you know, white skin and blue eyes, but like it could have been anything. And Mm -hmm. someone's going to take that out of context. Um, Maybe I shouldn't have used Nazi Germany. It could have been any of us. That was a bad example. Fuck off. But like, whatever, maybe it's midtown Manhattan. Maybe it's diving off the coast of Mexico. You almost have to start wondering then like, are we really anything, but the, are we just the, are we just the fluid filling the vessel? And then, you know, there's a new thing coming. You know, we call it whatever the newest generation, Gen Z. They're TikToking and they're all transgender and have blue hair. We would probably be them if we were born in 2011. If you we were born, yes. It depends on your frame of reference, I guess. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story. Sure. Um, a few years ago, they they brought up the uh, you know parts of the Titanic, you know artifacts of the Titanic, and they had them yeah. in Manhattan at an exhibit, and they had um, they they tried to personalize it by uh, if they found a notebook with um, somebody's name on it, it would be there, and they would put that person's personal effects near it, so you could see what okay. the person happened to have with them on that trip. Okay, so in one they had this glass case, uh, a large glass case, and inside it were little artifacts of this person, the person, a person's personal hygiene things. There was a comb, there was this, there was that. And there was a, a clamshell type case, you know, a, a spring case, you know, that mm-hmm. had must, must have had glasses in it at one time, whatever, it was, but it was closed, you know. So I was following a bunch of kids around at this exhibit. There was, there was a, some class trips there the same day. So I was following these kids who were like maybe middle school age kids, you know, whatever, or, or grammar school, eight, eight, maybe eight, eighth graders or something like that. And they came, there was, so it was kind of a just following them around, just watching how they were perceiving all this stuff. And one of them came to the glass case with this this uh, object was this clamshell case. It was uh, when I say clamshell, it wasn't a clamshell. Yeah, no, I know, I know. Yeah. Um, and he's looking at it. And he's looking at it. And he's looking at it. And he goes to his friend, "Is that a cell phone?" Huh. So I realized these, you know, these kids. You know, at the first glance, what a stupid comment. But then you realize, wait a minute. These kids have never not known cell phones. Yeah. You know, they didn't realize that in the Titanic, they didn't have no. cell phones. Yeah. So it was part of his reality. You know, so, it's kind of funny. It's like, know. is you're probably, I would imagine you, and I think I would, and most people would, you're probably looking at those things like very almost reverently. You know, it's this yeah. person died in a terrible thing. The reality is, is like, let's say whoever had that case was like a kid that kid was probably a little douchebag that other people in the Titanic were like, fuck this kid. He's yeah. running around. He thinks everything, he thinks everything is a model T cause he never knew a life without cars. Yeah. And we, we kind of look at it like so reverently, but at the time he, if there was some bratty 10 year olds on the Titanic, yeah. probably there's probably some Gen Z assholes on the, they're like, these fucking kids don't respect any. They don't know anything about anything. Right. Yeah. 
you probably had that. And it's just because it's a, so like in a hundred years, they're going to be like, this was the, the cell phone that this TikToker used and he was killed in a, in a car crash and they're all going to be reverent. Come back to us. And we're like, no, fuck that kid. It was annoying. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, that is weird. Which then I mean, makes you think what? No, I was just going to say, so the, basically our reality is, you know, whatever, whatever we experience. Yeah. And this kid had no, he, he could not relate to a different reality because this is all he knew. Yeah, and it it is a slippery slope then because you don't you like it forces you to start humanizing other aspects of human other eras of humanity that maybe you're indifferent to. You're like, yeah, you're like maybe I would have been part of Napoleon's army, but it also brings up very evil things. You're like maybe I would have been a a raping and pillaging Viking. Well, that that comes into the thing about how do you judge people over time? And I think you have to judge people according to the times in which they lived. Yeah, not everyone was a raping pillager. There's probably people alive at the time that were like, these Vikings are assholes. Yeah. So that too, you know, maybe in a thousand years, they'll be like, if you were alive in 2022, you might have been part of ISIS. <laughs> no, anybody watching this in a thousand years, like, no, we all hate ISIS. They are assholes. Like, so that's also something. I don't know. We then you have to start looking at, in terms of like just diving in the ocean, like, how does I wonder what the first and then second and then tenth generation of of Mars inhabitants will be like? How will they start to deviate? What is it like when the night sky is different and you don't grow up with the same whatever constellations or the same number of hours in a day or the same temperature or you grow up? You and I, it's just inherently known, right? That like think of every movie like made. It doesn't matter if it's about wizards or magical kingdoms or if it's a thriller or if it's about the CIA. There are some like there are some basic things. The sky is always blue. There are always clouds. And somewhere you have a hill with grass on it. doesn't matter what the movie is, Harry Potter or Saving Private Ryan. Those are some like background things that we've just accepted as truth. Right. What happens when you, your parents and your grandparents all grew up on Mars and just, and that's an example. That's obviously a geographic example of, okay, so movies would be red, but what does that then do to the mind? Like what other truths are there? that maybe we don't notice it's uh what's his um who is that poet um uh uh david foster wallace david wallace foster foster wallace um he committed suicide he was uh david i think it's david foster wall he had a great thing though okay and i guess we'll we'll kind of we'll kind of wrap it up with this is he had this quote where he goes there are two fish and they just graduated fish college and they're they both have their you know whatever their cap and gown and their diplomas and the whole world's in front of them. They've got the you know it's the beginning of the rest of their life and they're and they're they're swimming down the sidewalk you know going through whatever town in middle America. And I don't know about this and I don't know about that and what are you going to do and I don't know what I want to do. And an older fish swims by and he smiles at him and he goes, "Congratulations, boys!" And they say, "Thank you." And he goes, "How's the water?" And they both smile and they keep going. And they're quiet for a minute and they stop talking about chicks and who they want to sleep with. And they go, one of the fish looks at the other and goes, the hell is water? And (laughs) I always think about that. Like what thing is there? So we just identified the grass, the blue sky and the whatever as like, oh, that's something we, we don't think about, but I just brought it up. So now we're thinking about it. What's the other, there's something else that like we haven't broached yet. Like what is that? And how is that shaping our lives? What the hell is water? Yeah. Well, our, our senses basically give us our perception of reality. So depending on what our senses are telling us, our reality is going to seem very different. Like what is, so we're talking about, right. You know, as you're a hundred feet underwater and it's compressing your brain and doing different things, you're, you're also getting less light. It's silent. Mm-hmm. I mean, but then there's also things that we're maybe not really thinking about of just like the gravitational constant of the earth. We're not, there's a gravitational constant and then you equate into it, the diameter of the planet you're on with its mass. Right. So that gravity, that quote unquote gravity will be different on Mars. But then other what about like magnetic poles? What about like the Van Allen radiation belt? Like what about having a moon? All these little things. Speaking of what you what you just raised is that you know every every I don't know what the frequency is I don't know if it's every billion years a hundred whatever it is, but the magnetic poles shift they yeah. they, they flip. Uh huh. What is, what happens? With what that? happens then? Yeah. You know. Is there a weird? Yeah. Is there a weird? Uh, growing pains. Period. Yeah, besides the fact your compass is going to do start doing pins. Yeah, that's probably the least of your problems. <laughs> but like, yeah, what is what is life on Mars hold? Like, how does that actually change us? 
But then even that is a planet around a star. There could be some more just absurd versions of reality. Like, what about if we made an artificial an artificial planet or an artificial starship mm. and then you're just thrown out into the middle of a galaxy and you're, you're never really... I mean, they're all stars. The sun is just another star, but because we're so close to it, we don't really classify it as... It's it's the bright, hot thing, and then at the nighttime, we have a bunch of little stars. There's a funny thing about um, talking about perceptions of reality and how it affects us, but the author... I remember Arthur Clark? Arthur, Arthur, Arthur C. Clark, yeah. Arthur C. Clark, you know, and he wrote a book. One of his books was called Childhood's End. Okay. And it was basically, we're visited finally, another species comes to Earth, you know, that's the end of our childhood. They're going to now transform us, teach us, whatever, you know. But where I'm going on this is that in, is one of, the, one of their experiences on Earth. Now, these people are used to traveling the universe at the speeds of light. That's, that's, what, that's their thing that he's writing about. Yet, uh, when an Earthling is giving one, somebody on uh, one of the visitors a ride in an open uh, convertible, the guy's freaking out because of the sensation of speed in an open convertible is more than he's ever <laughs> experienced. Yeah. And even though he's going 50 miles an hour, he's having a panic attack because there's an open convertible and the wind is blowing his, yeah. his hair is made of or something like this, you know. So he's this alien getting freaked out by he's going 50 miles an hour in an open convertible where he's been used to traveling at this light speed, speed yeah. of light yeah. in the universe. Yeah, that's a good point. There's another kind of not related to anything we're talking about. but uh, I think it's Isaac Asimov. And he wrote this, and I don't know it well enough to, to quote it well. So I'll spoil it alert. But um, basically, like they go and discover the like the star that was like this whatever the star of Bethlehem, whatever you know, oh. to mark a child was born, and like they go and discover it, and it was like a supernova, and they find all these planets around it of people who like they had been detecting that it was about to go supernova, and it was like a sad end of the world, and you have all these people like clinging together inside of bunkers and stuff mm-hmm. before they were cooked to death, and it's like in our world this was like the most glorious. It's a a child is born in Bethlehem. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's Christmas and it's like the most wonderful time of the, and to them, it was apocalypse. Exactly. That one person's apocalypse is another person's savior. That, yeah. That'd be like, if somehow like the, if nine 11 was somehow like as bright as a star in some distant galaxy, they might be like, Hey, you know, that might go down in mythology of like a hey, child is born. And us, it's like, no, it's people jumping out of a building. That's, yeah. that doesn't really have anything with what we were talking about, but like that just popped into my head. It's fucking nuts. Um, <laughs> Wow, we've been going for a little over for an hour, so let's uh let's wrap this one up. I'll put the book in right. the description. And uh as always, man, I love shooting this shit with you. I love uh I think you and I open each other's minds and go down. I forgot we were even talking about your book. We ended up on nine eleven and oh yeah, and... I know. we always we always do that. One interesting backstory to the sure. book. I don't know if I mentioned this to you. Uh but in the in the in the, in the you know, where I have people's I ask anybody who's in the book, you know, shoot me your, your photograph so people can put a face to the name and stuff like this. So uh, Ed McDonald, who I have playing a um, um, witness protection uh, guy, you know, mm-hmm. who runs a protect, uh, gets the mob guys into witness protection program. If you notice, his picture looks kind of young, uh, but he's really my age because I went to school with him back in back in the day. Uh, but the the caption is courtesy of Warner Brothers because that photo is actually a picture of him in the movie Goodfellas. <laughs> playing the part he he's playing in my book as a witness protection <laughs> uh, uh, lawyer, getting the guys in the witness protection. And uh, as it turns out, just to, to take it one step further, uh, he was supposed to be a technical consultant on that movie for the guy who was going to play his part, okay, uh, of, of interviewing Henry and, and Hill and his, and his wife. Yeah, you know, yeah. the movie, you know? So Eddie shows up to the, uh, to the, uh, for the, for the, on the set, ready to be a consultant. And they look at him, and here's a good-looking guy, presents himself well, talks well, has a personality. And they go, what do you read for the part? He yeah, goes, well, he read for the part and got the job. <laughs> he actually, in the movie, if you ever watch Goodfellas again, he's actually, and he did uh, get Henry Hill into the production program, whatever. So he's actually playing himself. He's, the, he's, he's a, in the movie playing himself in that real role. Oh, a couple, even He's still a practicing attorney. He did have a couple other parts in some of the movies. I don't know what they were, but it was kind of like an interesting side venture to his real production. That is cool. And you incorporate, yeah, okay. No, because I do remember, I do remember the witness. Yeah. My, uh, well, did I get one? I guess he's passed away. My uncle was in the DEA and he was in the wow. protection program. I was going to say, like, I wonder if I should say it, but he, he passed away 10, 12 years ago. But 
Yeah, he was in the in the wooden. Maybe I shouldn't say that. No, I think. I'm well, that's all right. But I had just to wrap, wrap it up though. I've had I've, one of the things that helps to be, as a, if you're an author is you come across interesting people. Uh, be careful; you might wind up in a future book. You never know. I'll be but, in your. I'll be in one of your books. I'll but, be. The, um, I'll be the unhinged. I've been, I've been lucky in my life to to meet some very interesting people with very colorful backgrounds who made it into my books because of the fact they were interesting and had colorful backgrounds. Absolutely. So uh, it kind of helps to spice up the books and the stories, I think, and it makes it more fun to write. Well, that's how you make it on this podcast. I don't, I try not to talk to boring people. That's, it is kind of, it is kind of has, it kind of has skewed my perception of reality because I get to talk to interesting people all the time. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Like, well, even you, like you, you don't have like a normal history. Like like what you, what you've done is not normal. And it's, I do sometimes have to like ground myself and realize like the sampling of people I interview is are like not indicative of like the population. I don't know if that's good or bad. I think think, think that's good for the rest because the rest of the population doesn't want to read about themselves or or, or, or listen to to people about themselves. They want to hear about people doing extraordinary things. You know, that's a good point. You can have ordinary people doing extraordinary things or vice versa or whatever, but it makes life more interesting. I think that's a very good, that's a good point actually. Yeah. That's a good point actually. Well, as always, Paul, we've oh. gone down the rabbit hole and then some. And yeah, so I, I could have a role in the next book for somebody who's doing a podcast. Do and it. Goes, do it. goes wrong and he's running for his life. I don't know. This well, could, I, don't kill me. Don't kill I, Maybe kill me off. That that no, no, seems no. to always help people with their careers. Well, well, I'm in. Ha, have me killed off because that always helps people with careers. I'll run it by you first. But if you do get killed off, it'll, it'll, it'll be very interesting. I, I promise. Make it a fascinating death. Make my jaw turn up on a playground or something. Yeah, you, 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 some you, yeah, exactly. You, you want this, you know, get hit run over by a bus. I guarantee yeah. it to be something. I want to like traumatize some preschoolers. Have me get hit by a garbage truck in front of a school. <laughs> there you go. Just a red streak for 100 yards. <laughs> That's yeah. how, I, yeah. And I yeah. somehow turn, I create the next generation of psychopaths because they witness the death <laughs> during preschool. There you go. There are my true colors. Okay, Mr. Paul Mila, I'll text you this one. It's up. Great. Schedule the next one. If I don't schedule the next one with you, as as I tell everyone, please reach out to me because it just means I've forgotten. And um, yeah, definitely, I can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I do it all the time. <laughs> In my own defense, nine hundred and fifty-seven episodes. Wow. I, can only, I juggle so many guests before. I always have a feeling, and, and it's always there. I'm always like, I'm forgetting someone. I know I'm well, forgetting. One thousand should be a big milestone. You should do something special for that. I, I already got it scheduled. I already got Ooh. it scheduled. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, yeah, I feel like Home Alone though. When they like get to the airport and they're on the plane and they realize they left the kid, uh. that happens to me at this podcast. I'll be sitting there meditating and I'll be like, "There's someone who like." I know I haven't responded to an email. I go through my emails every day, but I'm always like, I know there's someone. Some <laughs> so for any other guests listening, if you ever get a random email or a text from me, like, "Hey, dude, how you doing?" It's because, <laughs> like Home Alone, I'm like, "Fuck, it's Paul," and it's you know, or whatever it is. So, um, yeah. But okay. I promise you, won't, you'll hear from me at some point. <laughs> all right, good. Please do. Trust me, I wouldn't keep having you on if I didn't like you. I, I, I like that. I like I like picking your brain, man. You're an interesting guy. You're a fascinating guy. I'll put the uh, link to your book in the description. Thank Get you. it. It's a fan. It's a fantastic read. It's a short read. It's really you burn right through it. As I say, I, I write easy beach reads, not brain benders. It is no, it is, and that's and that's someone that's always pushing like Cold War histories. This was a nice change in flavor. It was a nice change in mindset, much like diving. But Paul, my brother, thank you so okay. much, man. I'll text you this episode when it's up. Thank you, thank you so much, everybody. God bless.